Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 139 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And in this episode, we got a pretty exciting one. We had the big, eventful Liverpool-Manchester City matchup that was probably the Premier League game of the season. Um, big, busy day in the Champions League, which will be our wild card for today. And then, obviously, Manchester United making some big news because, essentially, all the reports are that they verbally agreed Eric Ten Hag Eric Ten Hag has verbally agreed to take over uh, the Manchester United job in the summer. Uh, but before we get into that, we actually wanted to give kind of like a PSA announcement. Um, we surpassed 4,000 downloads. I think it happened maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty big milestone. I yeah, it's just, it's a pretty big milestone. Yeah, it's 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 awesome to kind of see that big number out there. And we like we always say with each episode, and as we've been saying ever since we started the show. We appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to us and, you know, takes time out of their day to hear our takes on the sport. And we're glad that at least it resonates with some people and some people decide to, you know, continue listening to us as as the years have gone by. So um, as we always say, thanks again. And we do appreciate all the support we get because um, it seems like our voice is resonating because people, people are listening. So thank you guys again for all, all the support throughout the years. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all. Yeah, but uh, to get back, I guess, into the show, uh, we have the Liverpool section, which is essentially filled up with um, the biggest game of the Premier League season, which was the Manchester City-Liverpool game at Anfield. Essentially a title decider between the two teams, and it ended in a 2-2 draw. So we are essentially back to a stalemate where City have a one-point lead and Liverpool are one point behind them with even number of games played. So now it's essentially down to whoever will slip up and that will be the person that wins the Premier League. So it was an exciting 2-2 game, but Tyler, um, you know, I think Tyler would have wanted a Liverpool victory, but better than not lose. It's better to draw at least than to lose and to be four points behind them at least. Mm -hmm. It was a very good 2-2 and... 2-2 draw and there was a lot of anticipation leading up to it and also it's a bit of mind games because not only now did Liverpool and Manchester City face off but in the Premier League but now they face off again in the FA Cup and only a few days time basically a week later after yeah. that Premier League match so it's like are they going to put out the same tactics for this match and the following match are they going to change it up what's going to happen and I, I, to me it looks like Liverpool at least put up their best starting eleven based on Klopp's eyes, because it was basically Jordan Henderson back in the starting 11. He's usually pretty key in these kind of big, high-pressure games. And then the back line of Van Dyke and Matip, that kind of solidified duo back there. Because sometimes we, we've seen Konate and Van Dyke there. It's like, who's, who's the best partnership right there? And then he brought it back. Klopp brought it back with Van Dyke and Matip. Of course, mm -hmm. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson on the kind of wings there. And the front three of Salah, Mane, and Diego Jota. Again, Jota with another goal this game. But, I mean, this game, in the first half, I feel like Liverpool watched that Atletico Madrid and Man City game in the Champions League because defensively, they're set up a lot differently than what I'm used to them seeing, which is like the usual gang and press. They did a lot of just kind of absorbing the attack where they had like a back four and then a and then another set of four, like right in front of them, and then just one person chilling up top. So basically, they just had City 
bombarding them and just they're just absorbing the attack. It looked like two walls. And that was a big note that Simeone did with Atletico Madrid when they tried to stop Man City and they only lost one nil. You know, Atletico Madrid lost, but it was only one nil at, at that game. And Liverpool basically did the same, but I don't really think it did the same effect. You know, Liverpool were kind of struggling that first half because it was like, that's not their identity. It just looked like kind of some cheese. So luckily when they went back into the game, into the second half, they kind of dropped that and they went back to the game and press from what I could see. And it worked a lot more in their favor. And it looked like they were more in control in the second half. But mm-hmm. that was just kind of goofy to see. <laughs> just like two rows of four players, just like all sitting behind the ball, defending against City's mm-hmm. passing attack. I was... I don't know. I didn't like that because I kind of <laughs> let City have time on the ball and kind of let them do their thing. It was just a little harder to, to pass through all those players. But at the same time, I'm like, hmm, it's not their it's not their mojo. This is someone else's yeah. someone else's playbook. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, hmm. it could be one of those mind games as you were talking about. But uh, I guess the mind game uh, part on Manchester City's part was Pep Guardiola. He started. Gabriel Jesus in the starting lineup and Gabriel Jesus hasn't started a game for City or he hadn't featured in a game for City in probably like 13 games. I think the last time he featured was in December. So it had been, you know, a couple months since Gabriel Jesus ever featured or even started for Manchester City, but he threw him in there in this big game and he came up with a big goal uh, to open the scoring for Manchester City. So, you know, Pep and Klopp kind of came in with, you know, kind of their own mind games to kind of throw each other off. And, you know, I guess when they go into the FA Cup this weekend, it's still kind of a toss-up of what's going to happen because both managers kind of played different cards and they didn't just lay out their entire game plan during that one game. Yeah, and the the worst part about Gabriel Jesus as well is that not only has he not really featured too often in that starting 11, but he's been in a goal slump. He has barely scored any goals. I believe it was like maybe a couple goals in maybe 15 games in his mm-hmm. last 15, something like that. It was something ridiculously low for a striker, quote unquote, yeah. of Gabriel Jesus's kind of caliber. And of course, he scores in this game. <laughs> I'm like, all right, of all the things off the off the crossbar and in yeah. as well. I was like, all right, well, it is what it is. But I mean, it was very back and forth. And I feel like the tide was kind of flipping back and forth as well. So a 2-2 was pretty fair, but also does give Man City the upper hand. Now the title is in their hands and it's in their own destiny to make sure that they win out the rest of the season and then they get the title. So it's no yeah, longer in Liverpool's hands, which is the unfortunate part. And I feel like personally, Liverpool do have the harder schedule. They have to yeah. face Manchester United next week and Everton as well. That's always a tough one. And besides that, like and also Tottenham, I believe. But Man City, they got like no one in the top six. It's yeah. like they're just that was their last hard match in the Premier League, at least. Yeah, and you know how City do when they face like lower league or lower teams in the Premier League. They tend to steamroll them when they get a chance. Mm-hmm. So, like I five think nil, it's no, I, I I agree. I think Liverpool have the harder end of the schedule, and I think Man City do have the easier end. But we have seen crazier things happen where sometimes if you have the easier schedule, sometimes those games can be oddly very difficult because now you're kind of in a fight. Um, some of those teams are kind of fighting for survival in the Premier League or fighting for a chance to get into potentially a European spot or finishing up just a little bit higher in the table. Um, and you just never know what could happen. Because as we've seen um, in years past with Wolves or Crystal Palace um, or teams of that ilk, like they're capable of surprising Manchester City if you catch them sleeping or if you just have the right quality or just like the right luck at the right time 
you could get a result out of Manchester City. And all City need to do if they drop one point, they get a draw here and there and Liverpool steamroll. Like it's you know, Liverpool are now in first place. There's just it's a steamroll. So it's it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens because that pressure to kind of live up to that pressure, it's gonna be big for both teams. Um but one thing I kind of saw as a narrative as I was I wasn't working this game, but as I saw a narrative kind of throughout the week is um, Mo Salah's slump since the AFCON final. And I know when he came back from the AFCON final, he had a couple goals, a couple assists, like he was still kind of doing his thing. But I think I've seen like a lot on like Twitter, especially is that a lot of people have been saying that he hasn't had, he hasn't been having the same impact that he was during the beginning half of the season for maybe the past five or six games for Liverpool, maybe a month and a half for Liverpool. Um, and maybe that's just down to kind of general fatigue. He has had a long season, played pretty much every game for Egypt and AFCON, came back right away um, and started delivering again. So there's probably a bit of fatigue going on there. Also, he got eliminated from the World Cup uh, for like, you know, in the World Cup playoffs against Senegal, got eliminated there. So that was a big one. Um, so I guess in a lot of ways, like the international kind of you know, heartbreak for Salah's kind of been playing on his mind, but he has been playing a lot of games, but it is a very interesting note that, uh, you know, some Liverpool fans are starting to call out some of his performances recently, um, which is kind of crazy because when you think of Mo Salah, you always think of him being the big impact player all the time for Liverpool. Yeah. And also on top of that, it's also, I think as we mentioned last pod where he has kind of been in those contract negotiations too. So he has a lot of stuff on his mind, Mm -hmm. a lot of mental strain and a lot of physical strain. Cause yeah, of course he's also, I think the fourth most used player on the team and the most used attacking player on the team. So Mm -hmm. I have noticed that he hasn't really been scoring as prolifically as he is kind of known for, like basically a goal every other game at least. Yeah, I mean, he was hitting that form in November. It was like November, Mm -hmm. like December, he was hitting that form. Yeah, him and Benzema were basically kind of neck and neck for who's the best in the world right now. And then Salah basically kind of fell off a little bit. But I still think he's still making an impact off the ball. He's still getting double teamed. He's not getting past those one-on-ones. I have noticed that too. A lot of left backs have been shutting him down. And I was a little surprised by that. Like in the Benfica... Liverpool second leg, I saw Grimaldo kind of shut him down at points. I was like, what the heck? Grimaldo, <laughs> the left back from Benfica, come on. But I mean, it's just, I feel like it's just a mix of just the mental fatigue and also physical fatigue. And also on top of that, he is still impacting. He In the Man City match, he got an assist for Mane and it was a key pass through that Man City defense. So he's, he's still making an impact. It's just like the finishing is not there. It's just yeah. something, something's oddly, off. But oddly enough, um, yeah, because I, I was working today. Oddly enough, today, I guess April 14th, three years ago today, was when Salah hit that goal against Chelsea, like the screamer from outside oh, the box yeah. and then hit the yoga pose. Um, <laughs> so it's just funny. We're bringing up like a slump, and this is like an anniversary of like when he was pretty much, at that season especially, he, he was on untouchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine how it is right now. I complain about working like 50 hours a week. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right. And then meanwhile, they're just going ham. It's like football is their life. And they're just playing game after game after game mm-hmm. in these high pressure situations. But but I, I guess mean, that's for, kind of I, I was gonna say, I yeah. guess for Liverpool, even though Salah's been slumping, I guess the likes of Mane, Jota have kind of been coming up a little bit clutch for them when it comes to goals or scoring goals. And then he, you know, when you look at the Champions League, players like um, Roberto Firmino kind of come in as a pinch hitter now, which is kind of crazy to say because he was 
at one point the starting he was part of the key like front three for him but now he's coming off the bench and scoring goals Luis Diaz popping up with some goals here and there um, midfield kind of providing some magic so even though he hasn't been contributing on the assist and goals end as of late you still have other players that are still kind of putting in the work and still chipping in a little bit and I guess that's the credit of building a pretty solid squad throughout so that hopefully if one big player isn't performing 100% all the time some other key players can kind of pick up the work kind of pick up the, yeah. the slack a little bit so it's kind of like it's it's also on top of like just that liverpool standard where although salah usually is the main focal point of the team in terms of getting those goals and assists yeah the other players are also pretty high caliber and they don't really pop out as much until it's kind of needed for them to step up and this is one of those times they did need to step up and liverpool are still getting the results needed to kind of advance in the champions league do well in the premier league and I mean, the streak can kind of continues in terms of their season. Like, they haven't really lost at home that much besides the Inter game, Inter Milan game. I don't believe they've lost in at Anfield this whole season. And then I think the last loss was maybe last season against, was it Watford? <laughs> like, literally, oh, you can count how many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Brighton as well. So it's just, you can kind of pick out those games it's just like that game that game that game it's like those are their only losses and it's yeah. still kind of ongoing it's been like a year's a process at this point of them continuing this high caliber and just high consistency of, in terms of just getting results yeah and like this one slump even though it's a slump for sala the whole team as a whole is still doing pretty well yeah. it's kind of questionable in the defense i still would say but they're still getting the results needed to kind of get the wins and get the results needed to advance in like Champions League FA Cup and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of weird, but hopefully I noticed also Salah was left out of the starting 11 for the latest Benfica match in the second leg of the Champions yeah, I mean, League. They benched like seven of, the, uh, seven of the starters from the City game, which was a pretty mm-hmm. big call, even though they were up 3-0 on aggregate. To do that in the Champions League quarterfinal, yeah, I know you were at home. That That is to bench seven of your big key starters that that was definitely a really big call and um as we were going to talk about later but i mean it's as we know like it worked out well for Klopp, even though it was a little dicey at times but they were still ended up winning what six three on aggregate um uh, yeah, six four yeah six like four that. um so i mean it was still they still got through they scored three goals Firmino popped up with the brace um so it worked out for them but you know, it was a big call on Jurgen Klopp's side to like bench all those key players. But at least for now, um, all those key players now have an extra day of rest, extra day for muscles to recover, extra day to kind of get like mentally ready for the big game on Saturday. So the gamble paid off for Jurgen Klopp. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would take a break. <laughs> yeah. like, I'd, I'd take a break. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure that we won't see the benefits immediately, but we'll see if it really helps out the rest of the team on this upcoming Saturday's match yeah. against Men City. And also, next Tuesday, it is the Premier Pod Derby. Yeah. We didn't have this in our notes, but it is coming up. Yeah. The big match. Manchester I mean, the United game, the versus The game's so irre- irrelevant this season that it got moved to Tuesday. <laughs> Not even a It's relevant. <laughs> That's, I also noticed that. I was like, they made such a big game on a Tuesday. Like, what the heck? Usually, <laughs> Man United versus Liverpool is a big Sunday game. Like, at least for the East Coast, it'd be like Sunday morning. Everyone kind of wakes up for it. That's yeah. the game to watch. But no, it's on a Tuesday this year at what time? Let me see. It's, a, it's probably 3 p.m. 
or 12, yeah, 12 p.m. PST yeah. and then 3 p.m. Eastern Eastern PST, time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, a, it's basically it's, a lunchtime <laughs> Tuesday match. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I mean, I mean, that game, I don't know. I think it's just more even if United win, it's more about the title race being over for Liverpool and kind of City getting it. Um because, you know, as we know, like United season's kind of just fallen off the rails. So the game really doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things for United in their season. It's more just bragging rights at this point. Uh, but, I mean, if for Liverpool, they really shouldn't be losing that game. Like, they shouldn't, um, even though that game will always be tough. But they, they have enough quality and they've just performed well throughout the entire season to be able to handle that game and win it. But I guess circling back real quickly to um, the Manchester City uh, Champions League fi- fixture because one thing that was interesting was that Klopp was able to rest seven of his starters, but obviously City had a much more difficult game playing Atletico Madrid at the Wanda Metropolitano. And obviously with Diego Simeone and the way Atletico Madrid play, it's always going to be physical, tough, rough. Like they're going to not, you're, you know, they're going to claw, they're going to do everything they can to get under your skin. And that's exactly what they did. And unfortunately, players like Kyle Walker rolled his ankle, Kevin De Bruyne kind of had to limp off with an injury. Aderson at the end looked like he had kind of got a hit with a little bit of a knock. So, and Jao Cancelo uh, got yellow card accumulation. So he's going to miss the next Champions League fixture against Real Madrid. So that game was really difficult. So City kind of had to limp off with some of their big key players. So now all of a sudden that game in the FA Cup this weekend, it gets really interesting if certain players aren't available because of how difficult their Champions League game was. So. The thing is, though, I I don't doubt City. It's they have they're one of the two teams in the Premier League right now that have like two starting 11s <laughs> worth of players. So that is true. It's but like replacing like a Kevin De Bruyne is difficult. Yeah, that's that is difficult. I will say. Um, but I, I mean, we saw it in the game. We saw you know Fernandinho come in for City. We saw um, Nathan Ake come in for Walker. It's kind yeah. of they got they got the players on the bench ready to go. It's just. Mm-hmm. It'll be. I think it'll be a different match just based on personnel. But I mean, we'll talk about that more in detail, I guess, in the wild card section because there's there's a lot to unravel for that, just in terms of uh, what what there is. But I would, I guess, like the last thing I would say for this is that Liverpool, based on that Benfica game, we kind of noticed as well. Even though there's seven changes, the team tactics and like what Klopp wanted the team to do was still very reminiscent of. If say Robertson was in the team, if Trent Alexander Arnold was on the team, we saw Joe Gomez with a beautiful cross, and not only this game but also in the previous game when he started mm-hmm. at right back. So it's it's almost like Klopp is doing a really good job of making sure that if players are rested, that there's a good, I guess, replacement, but also like another player that can take the place that can still perform the tasks needed and like the tactics he has in mind. And yeah. that being said, too, it's just like the players that are on the bench were players that were in the starting 11, such as like Firmino, Milner. Um, they were like staples for a long time. So they kind of know what's up. It's just mm-hmm. it's kind of weird just to see <laughs> they're on the bench. It's like, all right. Yeah. Here you go. You're in now. Yeah. But I mean, that's I mean, we talked about it earlier, but that's the beauty of having a, a squad that's really filled with depth is that they can handle just kind of being thrown in there and just performing the task at hand at the full responsibility of the starters so mm-hmm. i mean they've like that's what liverpool have done they kind of worked their way up to kind of assembling a squad of that caliber and then it also helps that they've kind of not hit the injury bug like they did last season so a lot of their players are staying relatively fit so they have that good squad selection to choose from yeah um, 
availability is such a key key trait to have in players something mm-hmm. i've learned watching liverpool last season and also just in fantasy football yeah <laughs> like being like, available oh, yes. is a huge thing it's a huge mm-hmm. thing in sports like, oh man lamar jackson injured no <laughs> it's like <laughs> something like that but um you always revel in the players that you don't have to switch out or anything you just keep them there the whole season mm-hmm. and rely on them like a james milner <laughs> so yeah we'll see yeah so liverpool like they're still still really into the title race they're up for pretty much a quadruple still this close to the end of the season so a lot to a lot to unpack in the coming weeks for liverpool but um i guess switching over real quickly to manchester united um i believe in the last two episodes we've kept mentioning eric ten Hag kind of being the the forefront favorite and um just these past couple of days it was um reported that uh from the athletic and like very reliable sources that Eric Ten Hag verbally agreed to take over the United job. So that means officially he will be Manchester United's next manager. Um, he won't be announced um, the manager until after Ajax um, complete their final cup game of the season, which I believe is in a couple weeks. Um, just to be, for both parties, it's been a pretty respectful um, communication back and forth. And Manchester United want to be respectful towards Ajax because um, Edwin van der Sar, who is a former um United goalkeeping legend. Uh, he is one of the director of footballs at IX. So there's just mutual connection. And obviously there's former players have that have played for both clubs. So it's just like a mutual connection between both clubs. So they just want to be respectful for both ends. So he won't officially be announced. I think it's reported until maybe next week or until the cup game ends. But yeah, he is going to be the next boss for Manchester United. Very interesting. Um, as I mentioned before in previous episodes, What's going to be the coolest or probably interesting thing is how they're going to do the squad clear out and potentially how him and Ralph Ranjik are going to kind of work together to buy players that fit the profile. I think that's kind of been the biggest thing that's been reported is that Eric Ten Hag wants to buy players that fit his profile and not just buy a superstar because he's available, but rather buy the right type of player that will fit his mold. And then that way they can perform the type of tasks that he needs them to perform. I think that's a really good thing to have as a Manchester United fan because I think we've kind of seen with all the other managers we've had since post-Fergie is that we've kind of gone after like the big superstars and taken big swings with, you know, some of the biggest names in football. But unfortunately, they just haven't worked out because they don't fit the system that they were trying to go for or it's just a mixed match like a mixed match of just different styles different personas and different everything so i'm hoping with eric ten Hag that he comes in buys players that fit the profile they may not be the most overhyped players or they may, may not be the most, most well-known players but hopefully um buying the right type of profile fitting players will help establish a- identity a true like sense of like hard work and also a true sense of what Eric Ten Hag is trying to build. And that way they can go forward from there. Um, similar to what other teams have done that have been successful or are successful right now. Um, I look at like Barcelona and Xavi. I know they just got knocked out of the Europa League, but they were on a 18 game unbeaten streak across La Liga and all the other competitions. They dominated Real Madrid in the El Clasico. But when Xavi came in, even in the January transfer window, he picked out players that kind of fit the mold that he was trying to get. And fit the style, even though a lot of people question, like, why are you bringing in, like, at that point, it was considered a washed up Aubameyang. Why are you bringing in a Adama Traore that can barely kind of perform at Wolves? Why are you bringing in a Ferran Torres that, you know, does he really fit, like, the Barca style? Like, what? what's the point of bringing him in? But 
you know, they stuck with Xavi. They trusted him. They brought in the players that fit his mold and they were able to perform really well. So I think if you kind of, hopefully, if United give that trust to Eric Ten Hag and he can just pick up players that fit that mold that he's trying to build with possession, pressing, and just being an overall proactive player, I think, you know, we'll see some good signs or some positive signs next season with United. I mean, overall, I'm feeling it's very hopeful just in the Manchester United side, just kind of looking at you and kind of hearing from you. It's just like, this seems like a positive thing. Because like, it's just in general, it's kind of just been news that's been circulating for the past few weeks now. It's just, you know, it's Eric Ten Hag or just, you know, it's just someone else in the ranks. But it's just, it's, ba- it's basically been him. It's been mm-hmm. like, all right, this is the rumors, this is the news. And then finally, this is the closest we've gotten to, it's going to be, it is just down on paper it's just a verbal agreement yeah but i mean so far we've, we've seen and kind of hinted that manchester united might have these kind of streaks and like this kind of same trajectory i should say that like barcelona has of xavi or maybe a arsenal has of arteta but i think the more favorable one would probably be something with like xavi where barcelona they're kind of in a hole they had like no money they're in huge debt Yet they yeah. still were able to bring in all these players like Ferran Torres, Obama Yang, Adama Traore, and a lot of players want to play for Barcelona and Xavi. Yeah. Do you think that Manchester United will have that same kind of pull? And like even with Eric Ten Hong, because I guess, you know, Manchester United is still one of the biggest clubs out there. And that's kind of like the appeal for Barcelona. Not only was Xavi kind of bringing back that Barcelona style of play, but I mean, you still will get to play for Barcelona. Like the camp now is still the camp now. Yeah. Still has like 90,000 people still showing up to every single game. Yeah, I, just, I think I think you, you've kind of hit it on the head. I think um, like any club like Liverpool, Manchester United, even when Liverpool were struggling, they were still able to get players like Luis Suarez, like Coutinho, mm-hmm. Sterling and even when they were struggling a bit they were still able to pick up like some decent big names to come into the club and especially when Klopp came back or Klopp came in um, they were able to sign some decently high profile players and obviously as they got a bit better they were able to attract attract the likes of even bigger names but I think the name of Manchester United itself it's still big enough that players still want to play for this club like it's a big club and I think the thing that's kind of been I bet I guess a big selling point. I think they kind of been hinting at a selling point for a lot of these former managers is that hey, you can be, you know, if you come here, you perform well and we get everything correct, like you could be part of the squad that finally gets the club back to where it used to be. And like if you do that, you'll kind of be remembered like throughout history of kind of being the squad that lifted them back up from the rubble. And I think that in itself as a pitch is a pretty appealing pitch because yeah, you may be struggling. I think with the same thing Xavi has said with like people that come to Barcelona, yeah, we're struggling now, but if you can get us back, if you can be part of that squad to get us back to challenging for La Liga and especially Champions League titles consistently, like you'll have a pretty positive name in the Barcelona history books. Like people will remember your name pretty um pretty I what was the word I'm looking for? Profoundly. It's yeah, just profoundly. Like you'll be looked at at a high regard. And I think that selling point is probably a big thing to sell. People And we've seen in the past, even when Manchester United don't have Champions League or, you know, they're struggling for Europa League, they still manage to pull in some of the bigger stars and the biggest names. Um, so I, I don't think them missing out on Champions League or Europe is going to be that big of a hit. I think the name itself is still a big name. And I think Eric Ten Hag also has a pretty positive, um, what is it, 
I wouldn't, I don't want to, I don't want to say clout, but positive um, namesake in terms of like the footballing community and kind of Europe. And so does Ralf Ranić. So those two names kind of ha- carry a very positive uh, name throughout Europe. So I feel like their name alone can kind of help attract players or those coaches that they're trying to pick the players from can kind of encourage those players to like, hey, you're under like the right guidance with these two because they kind of know what they're doing. It's not like that, you know, couple years ago where it was like ed woodward kind of doing all the work and it's like you know we don't really know who that guy is it's just a businessman but this time you have like two people that have really um are well known in the footballing kind of coaching sphere and carry a lot of weight in terms of terms of their name and the people they've coached and the people they've mentored yeah it sounds a lot like the new kind of language at manchester united it's kind of they're echoing it's just it's it's People who speak football are now yeah. running the club rather than some people who know a lot of numbers. It's kind of yeah. like Boeing, where it's like they went from a company that's run by engineers to a company that's run by businessmen and they went down in the hole. And now they're kind of, I, I don't know, they're still kind of screwed. But I feel like Manchester United, they kind of realized it's like we should probably bring some people in upstairs that kind of speak the language yeah. and then can turn the, the team around. And yeah, I, I will say, too, it's surprising, at least to me, that certain players like Xavi and like Stevie G, like Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa, they're relatively new managers, but yeah. yet they have such good pull in terms of pulling in players from other teams to play for their team. Like, I did not expect Coutinho to play for Aston Villa one day yeah. or like Luca Dean to jump from Everton to yeah, Aston to Villa Aston as well. Villa. And Xavi's kind of doing the same thing. And... They're relatively new managers and they kind of earned that respect from being players that were kind of legends on the pitch. And now they're doing some big things at clubs kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. And Eric Den Hogg, I don't I don't think he's a player, but I mean like he I feel like he's also one of those kind of well known kind of managers that do have that respect as well. Yeah. So it'll be kind of interesting to see who he does pull and what the club kind of looks like. But I do have a question for you, Yash, just kind of like a hypothetical, because Although you're saying like Manchester United and Liverpool, that match next Tuesday isn't too big in like the grand scheme of things. They are in seventh place right now, Manchester United. And if they, you know, God forbid, beat Liverpool, (laughs) they go into sixth place and they are kind of in that fight more. They have like a better chance of fighting for that Europa League spot. But do you think it would kind of benefit the team more? to be still fighting for those positions and ultimately maybe get into the Europa League or whatever that green competition is, the Europa <laughs> Conference, Conference League, League yeah. that no one watches. Would it be beneficial for them to be in those with Tanog's first season or maybe just do what Liverpool did one season? Not intentionally, but just like they couldn't get into either one. Yeah. And they're able to focus on every single Premier League match and then ultimately get back into the Champions League. I believe that exact season. Yeah. Because it's like every 16, match is just like... 16, mm-hmm. 17. No, I, so I agree with I you. I kind of skewed the question a certain yeah. way, but that's just... No, no. It's, I wonder what, what you're I, thinking. I, I get the question. I think um, if you talk to pretty much every United fan, they're on the they're all on kind of agreement that we kind of don't want to be in the Europa League or the Conference League. And Champions League just at this point looks a little too far gone. Um, we would rather just focus on the Premier League next season, just give Eric Ten Hag, you know, not worrying about the responsibility of Europe, especially because... If it's not Champions League or even Europa League at this point, like at this point, you're just kind of adding extra games, extra mileage on players and extra kind of stress that really isn't needed to be there. Because I think a lot of times in 
the Conference League or Europa League, we see sometimes that a lot of major upsets happen or just random kind of throwaway games happen because managers don't want to put their best players out there because they want to focus on the league or something like that. So I speak for myself, but I think a lot of United fans are in agreement that it would be nice to just have a clean state next year and just kind of just focus on the league, FA Cup, League Cup. Um, and just go from there and just kind of give Eric Ten Hag that first full season just to implement his stuff and just focus in on the league and just have that extra um, training sessions to teach his style, teach his fundamentals, teach his philosophy. Because I think that's arguably at the end of the day probably going to be more important than just competing in a random throwaway conference league match, you know, on a Thursday when players don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't have to go to like Uzbekistan to face like <laughs> some random team i can't yeah, even think of the travel and everything <laughs> something <Yeah>. like that <laughs> or um so i mean it's setting up like i think like what you're saying with like what liverpool like didn't intentionally do but it just kind of happened that way i think the way manchester united have been this season is just that they just can't get out of their own way this season um because obviously I'd, they were looking like they were hitting a bit of momentum before that Atletico Madrid knockout when they knocked them out but obviously when they knocked them out the season was a wash there was nothing much going on so at this point, you can't really blame the players for not trying because, like, what is there to play for? Ralph Rangnick is not going to be the manager next season. Um, when Eric Ten Hong comes, it's going to be a fresh slate. So I agree with you. I think uh, being out of Europe completely might be the best best solution for next season. And we're seeing Arsenal this season is kind of benefiting them in a certain way where yeah. they're fighting for Champions League, ironically enough, because they got no other competitions to worry about. So, yeah it kind of allows them to focus in on Premier League and kind of like the domestic cups as well. Because, I mean, there's still plenty of games to play. It's just you won't get that bonus, that mm-hmm. sweet bonus of that Champions League money or the, you know, I don't know how much you get for Europa League. I don't think it's as much. No one really watches it. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's still yeah. it's still European football. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I would say we'll see. I want to see how that kind of impacts the pull for Manchester United, though, because, yeah. you know, it is one less competition, one less year in certain players careers and losing that chance to play in these kind of competitions so like we'll see we'll see what happens but yeah you know it's gonna be big trust in what ted hong is gonna do and what manchester united's plans are because you know, we'll see it's been <laughs> a lot of ups and downs for us if you've just been following in the past several seasons so yeah there's a lot of hope there's a lot of you know the futures are looking looking good for Man U. It's but it's just based on a lot of hope. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and you know it'll be a continuation of just what's what's going on with Manchester United because it's always cha- ever changing with uh, with the club. Uh, but moving on to our wild card topic, it was the Champions League. Um, pretty busy day. Um, I worked both the Champions League matches, so it was a pretty long day because it was just so much stuff went went like basically so much stuff went down in the past. Um, the two games um, during the Champions League week, uh, Real Madrid kind of winning an exciting 5-4 aggregate win over Chelsea with Benzema scoring the winner, um, which basically sealed their semifinal ticket where they will play Manchester City. And then Liverpool um, will place uh, uh, in the semifinal. They beat Benfica, so they will place Villarreal, who beat uh, Bayern Munich um, in Munich um, to kind of seal their, I think they won 2-1 on aggregate uh, mm-hmm. to seal their Champions League semifinal appearance. So they're kind of the underdog of this Champions League uh, campaign. And the one that's just kind of sneakily kind of gone by everyone, everyone's radar. So 
they are they are a hot team because they they set up really well. They have good players. They have solid players kind of throughout the pitch. Uh, Pau Torres, Dan Juma, uh, Gerard Moreno. I mean, they have like old Star Wars stuff. Old people like people that have followed the Premier League before, like Lo Celso in the midfield, uh, Coquelin in the midfield. Um, you know, they they just have solid players all across the pitch that kind of just know how to do their job. Unai Emery is a seasoned coach in Europe, um, knows how to get along, you know, get a, get a, get around Europe. So they just have solid, they have solid managers, solid players, and they just know how to perform really well in these big moments and know how to set up shop and know how to hit on the counterattack. So they're a tough match for anyone. I'm so surprised that Villarreal made it this far. Like under Una Emery too, like Una Emery is known as like the whisperer of the Europa League. So I was like, all right, this is not his competition. This is this is not his wheelhouse. Yet here we are with so many ex Tottenham players for that Villarreal side. As like Yosh mentioned, on top of that, there's like Capu and also like yeah. Aurier. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not sure if anyone even remembers Etienne Capu. Yeah. Throw pack name. But um, and then you also got like some you know stalwarts as Yosh mentioned. Like on top of that, you have Gerard Moreno, one of their star players. That is kind of more just prolific in the La Liga section. Like not many people outside of that really know him. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of rising star Chukawizi. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm saying his name right, but yeah, I mean he has that prolific celebration now yeah. <laughs> against Bayern Munich. Just shows his jersey yeah. off. But I mean that team. There's always one team I feel like that kind of sneaks in pretty far into the, the Champions League. Like we saw Ajax do that a few seasons ago, and then even I would say even Liverpool at one point. Like they were kind of just, they were, you know, historically they're really good, but they haven't really made that much of an impact in like the past several seasons. And then all of a sudden Liverpool with Klopp made it to the finals. <laughs> yeah. And then Tottenham, of course, made it to the finals as well. So it's like, what the heck? So yeah. Tottenham made it. Yeah, people were so kind it's... of discounting Villarreal and Liverpool do face them. I'm kind of thankful we're facing Villarreal rather than like a Real Madrid or Man City right now. But I mean... Villarreal beat Juventus and Bayern Munich to get yeah. to where they are now. So this team is set up very well defensively. Like Yosh and I were kind of talking before the pod and I was like, how did they get here? And then Yosh was kind of mentioning, he's like, they're just set up very well to counterattack. And I was like, sounds like Liverpool almost. Yeah. <laughs> High press and just counter. It's And I mean, it's funny. It's, I was going to say the, um, they're under the only two times they've lost in Europe this season was to Manchester United. Manchester United, the only two really? teams beat them in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> they won pretty much all their group or won or draw all their group stage games besides the ones they played against Manchester United. So we have that one shining crown. <laughs> well, I will say Liverpool, based on what I've seen so far, they do look into the, you know, they watched a lot of tape from what other teams have done against the opponents they face. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll take something out of the Manchester United playbook, unless it's just give it to Ronaldo, obviously, but <laughs> but. I mean, it's a it's going to be a pretty interesting game because on top of that, Una Emery, this is not the first time I believe Klopp is going to be facing him. Like Klopp has faced Una Emery, I believe, while he was at Arsenal. Yeah. When Una Emery was still in the Premier League, kind of doing okay with Arsenal. But now this is a whole different team, a whole different kind of situation, kind of two one off games. Mm -hmm. But I have faith. I have faith. It's going to be interesting on top of that just for the two teams kind of in terms of like durability as well, because we kind of already hinted that Liverpool, there's a lot of games to play and like fatigue is hitting some of the star players, but Villarreal, they're in seventh place in La Liga. This is their, 
this is all they're really focusing on at this point. Yeah. Like they're kind of they're kind of done in La Liga. Yeah. I don't know if Copa del Rey or anything is still going on in like in terms of domestic cups or the uh, Spanish. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Villarreal is in, in those. I think like like you yeah, said, it's so, just La Liga or Champions League. So basically it's just the yellow submarine is just tooting along just yeah. in the Champions League. It's like this is all we got. And this is historically, I believe, this is one of the farthest they've ever been in their yeah. entire club history. So if there's a year for them to do it, it'd be this season. So they yeah. have a lot of motivation and I mean, they made it this far. It's like, why not? It's like the, it's like the Bengals <laughs> last season, the NFL. It's like, yeah. why not us? So I'm kind of scared about that. <laughs> it's just like, what the heck? How do you prepare for something where you weren't expecting? Yeah. But Liverpool, it's going to be interesting for that. And of, of course, Liverpool, I would, I'm not going to lie. They had a lot easier way getting up to where they are now. They had to face Inter Milan, who's fighting for a Serie A title right now, I will say. Yeah. But then Benfica, not as crazy as like a Bayern Munich, but mm-hmm. Benfica still did put up a fight. And Darwin Nunes is that's a that's a name to remember. That striker for Benfica. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe man, you gets them. I don't know. But no, um, I think we're uh, he's all right. <laughs> Christopher Nkunku from RB Leipzig is a uh, that's a player. That dude. That's has, that's the hot ticket right now. Yeah. Thirty goals and eighteen assists. I think in all yeah. competitions for Leipzig. Right Almost now, 50 that's goal involvements. That's 48 goal involvements this season. That's really good. He, yeah, he's... What the heck? He's a star. <laughs> if he's like this in the World Cup for France, I'm going to change my answer from last week. Yeah. But but yeah. on top of that, so that's like Liverpool and Villarreal, but also for like the Real Madrid and Man City side, I believe this is the same matchup that happened last season too, where... Yes. Or well, maybe met, a couple think, seasons ago. No, because I think Chelsea and Real Madrid played last season... Um, but they did. I do remember City and Madrid meeting. But I, I feel like the only time they met was actually in like 2015-16 when they met in the semifinals, like way back. Like I guess at this point, it's like six years ago at this point. Um, <laughs> and that was like when Mengala was still starting in the center back position with for Man City. Oh my gosh! So that's how long Mangala. it's been. Um, but I mean, even then, it's Pep Guardiola coming back to face Real Madrid. Yeah, so, at the Bernabeu. So, foe. yeah, it'll be it'll like tempers will definitely be up for this one. Um, it's a big game. I think Real Madrid, oddly enough, they are a good team, but I think they have been relying a lot on magic from Benzema to kind of carry them through. Um, because mm-hmm. you know the game against PSG, there were times where basically PSG looked like they were dominating them, and in this game against Chelsea, they. Chelsea pretty much dominated them for majority of that entire game, but then they just kind of found a little bit of pocket. And it was almost similar to the Real Madrid that are playing right now, or kind of similar to the ones that were playing when they won the three-peat, where they weren't exactly on top, on top all the time, but they had a little bit of luck fall their way, either at the other team, the team on the other side getting a red card, um, a decision kind of going their way or relying on magic of Cristiano Ronaldo at that point or Sergio Ramos, um, Modric, Cruz, all their big stalwarts just kind of making big time plays when, you know, when it's not expected from them. They just kind of do it out of nothing. And what we're seeing is that the same thing is kind of happening this season where Luka Modric is doing stuff that, you know, he shouldn't really be doing at 36 years old. I think he's 36 or 37 He's still mm-hmm. doing crazy Travella passes, making a huge impact. Kareem Benzema has kind of just been on another level this season, um, carrying on the form since last season. Vinicius Jr. kind of coming in and providing some big help. 
And their center back duo of, of Militao and Alaba has been pretty solid. Furlan Mendy doing a really solid work at fullback position. And Courtois coming up with big saves and big moments when need be. Um, so it's just kind of setting up where even though Madrid technically don't play the best for full 90 minutes, they know how to make their moments count. And I think that's the big thing because I think City do know how to make their moments count, but they also are a team that can control the game for pretty much 90 minutes or 95 minutes. But they are a team that can get hit on the counterattack and just slip up a tiny bit. And I think that's where Madrid can kind of come in and just do their magic because, yeah, Madrid have just been relying on that this entire Champions League campaign. It's so... It's kind of unexplainable how certain teams like Real Madrid, Liverpool... Barcelona or even like Manchester United, there's just this one little extra spark, one little extra kind of boost that the players kind of get. It's like a superpower almost Mm -hmm. in these kind of high pressure situations where it's like, all right, someone's got to step up and do something crazy. And then Luka Modric, as you mentioned, does one of the most insane assists I've ever seen. I feel like in my life so far, it's a Travella cross from like deep in the midfield right to Rodrigo's foot for like a one-touch finish like that was that turned the whole tide on top of Mendy making that mistake in the first leg where he had the quote-unquote carious moment and of course it's also to Benzema as well Mm -hmm. so maybe Benzema does this kind of thing to the keepers but I mean Real Madrid there's just something about them where they really didn't look that good like in the second leg especially they're down three nil and just all of a sudden it's like, all right, now nah, it's going to turn up. And then this is why a team like this has won like 13, this competition 13 times, the Champions League. And I don't know. I'm This match, I feel like Man City is going to dominate, but somehow the result is not going to reflect the scoreline. Yeah. Or, or like the, you know, the play that we see on screen. It's mm-hmm. going to be something where Real Madrid are still going to be in this game just because of the Real Madrid. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if somehow, some way they made it to the finals because it's just like, what the heck? Like we were kind of mentioning, if not this season, maybe last season, where they're going to be slowly moving out those kind of stalwarts of this Real Madrid team. That Tony Cruz, the Benzema, like the team, like Modric, these players that have been on the team since like 2013, 2012. Yeah. Like it's the same players we've been saying for like 10 years now. And they're still here. And it's like, yeah. eventually they have to like, <laughs> there has to be new ones. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen like little bits of them. Like Valverde was starting. Vinicius Jr. is going ham. Yeah, Kemba being but I mean, like, But I mean, like the same core players are still making all the, the chances happen. Like Benzema yeah. was still like the main man who scored the goals. So, I mean, I, I was... <laughs> some Chelsea fans sent me some texts during after that match. They're like, "What the heck?" <laughs> They're just so sad. I was like, "Y'all just you got history." It's like this is just what Real Madrid does. Yeah. So this is their competition, mm-hmm. and on top of that, they're I believe they're first in the La Liga. So. Yeah, it's a They're crazy. Just, it's a crazy stat. They think um, they've reached the semifinals in the Champions League ten times out of the last twelve seasons. So that's yeah, it's incredible. I was like, that's hard to do, and they consistently do it every single season. So, and this team is it's not as good as you know that team that won everything like yeah. with Ronaldo. But Bale. I mean, I mean, Bale, yeah, they, Bale's still chilling. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bale on the bench, but. I don't even know what to say for Real Madrid. It's just they're, they just, they're just who they, they just are. They just know how to do it. They know they how just to have do that it. all white. 
And I was kind of thinking too, I was like, is there another team that's just kind of well-known that's just all white, kind of like a death squad? I was like, well, other teams, like, I guess Swansea were all white, but I mean, it's not the same effect. Yeah, <laughs> Swansea. But, but I mean, I mean you just got to know. I mean, that, like, like you said, I think that'll be a really exciting tie because, as you said, it's Real Madrid, Manchester City. Real Madrid have just kind of have that magic going for them. Um, but what's been interesting is, I guess, the last question on the ball card here is um, the away goal, away goals rule. As we all know, like the away goal um, rule from previous seasons, which was the away goals count for basically two goals, essentially. So if it was tied on aggregate and your team had two away goals and the other team had two home goals, you would go through through by virtue of away goals because they counted more. Uh, but they, a sense, have lifted that rule this season. This is the first season without it. And a lot of people were kind of concerned of like, oh, we're just like, you know, is Champions League still going to be exciting without it? But I would say that it still has. I think what's been interesting is without the away goals, you would think that the game would get more defensive and more boring. But honestly, it makes it a little bit more exciting because now managers don't no longer have that incentive to like if they're going away from home for a round of 16 tie or any of the knockout stage ties the incentive to just kind of sit back, absorb pressure, and maybe nick a 1-0 win is no longer there because all of a sudden that goal doesn't really mean that much anymore. So now the onus is kind of like, okay, we can't really sit back and hope that we get a draw or hope that we get a win or 1-0 win. It's more like we have to kind of just go all out and just go for it because if we don't, if we all of a sudden lose 2-0 or trailing 2-0 on the home leg, us scoring two goals away from home isn't really going to do much for us. So... I think it has made ties a little bit more exciting, which is odd because you would think it would do the opposite effect, but I think it's made it a bit more exciting at that end. I, I was very surprised too because I was thinking, it's like, well, here we go. Benfica is probably going to park the bus or it's like, well, here we go. I mean, the certain teams, I, I am not surprised, still kind of park the bus and kind of yeah. are very defensive. Like, But it's like, it's their, it's their DNA. It's like what they do. Yeah, that's like, that's what they do. Even if it was the way goals rule is still here, they would 100% still be doing the exact same thing. That's just what Simeone does. And I'm pretty sure that's what Villarreal would still do too. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's also Villarreal. It's like, what, what else are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, so I was very surprised. It kind of made these two legs instead of kind of seeing as like, oh, it's a home away. It's like now it's like a 180 minute game. It's just like with like a big break in between. If yeah. that makes sense. Exactly. So it's been very interesting. I'm very surprised that it, it's kind of working out. Yeah. And I mean, it's the first season, but I mean, so far with like this very small sample size, it's looking okay. It's mm-hmm. looking like, wow, it's kind of a positive impact in terms of like not much is really changing. But I mean, we're still seeing big games so big goals, like literally the Liverpool legs together were 6-4 in terms yeah. of goals scored. And then for Real Madrid, Chelsea, Chelsea it was five, like 5-4. Four. Four. Yeah, and then, and then you know PSG, the other Real Madrid, it was like uh, yeah, it was it's just been high scoring, high score lines for like each team, um, each matchup so, really. So it's been fun. Yeah, so that was you know for yeah. coming to revisit this kind of rule. I think we mentioned it in a previous pod before. It's like let's see if uh, all the teams start parking the buses away, but it's like nope. Yeah. So it's, far, it's yeah, looking it's like everyone's just going out. Yeah, it's on the opposite yeah. effect. So I, I'm. I'm here for it. As long as it makes it more exciting, that's always fun for like the neutral viewer for these matchups. So I think eliminating the away goals rule, oddly enough, has made these ties more interesting and more fun and just more exciting for that casual viewer. So we're happy for it. But yeah, that kind mm-hmm. of was the end of like our wildcard section with the Champions League. It's been a really crazy campaign in the Champions League. And 
you know, we have the potential of getting a repeat of the 2018 final with Real Madrid Liverpool, or we could get an all Spanish final, or we can get an all English final. So there's just multiple options or multiple scenarios that could happen. So it's going to be a very interesting semifinal, I guess, knockout round because a lot is riding for basically all four of these teams. So it's fun. I mean, that's that's the tail end of the season. We're approaching the tail end of the season for leagues, cups, and everything. So it kind of all comes down to the wire. Everything you've been working towards, it's all coming down to the wire here. But um, yeah. yeah, that kind of hopefully for the for the Premier Pod at least. Hopefully, one of the two teams that are in England make it to the final. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> it'd be a hopefully. nightmare if it's a Spanish final. Then it's yeah. like, well, we've been spoiled. We've been had too many English finals throughout the uh, throughout the Premier Pod journey. So. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. see what happens. And then West Ham still in the Europa, Europa. League. Leicester City still in I the Conference Leicester. League. Yeah. So, so you never know one. what could happen. Maybe all three, all three English teams sweep the European competitions. We'll see. Um, That'd be sweet. That'd Imagine be really West cool. Ham winning a trophy. <laughs> oh my we'll gosh. see. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I guess that, that kind of does it for season four, episode 139 for us. As we always say, you can... Uh, follow us at the at the Premier Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Send us a, any questions you have, or give us a follow. Interact with us on there. Um, you can also find video versions, hopefully, of this podcast on YouTube at the Premier Pod. We've been having some video technical difficulties through Zoom um, for the past two episodes. We're hoping it'll get fixed. If not, we'll continue to figure out a way to get it fixed so we can, you know, see our lovely faces uh, as the episodes go on. But uh, yeah, if you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to leave us a review. Uh, leave us a rating. And yeah, if you could leave us a review, that'd be great. If not, sharing this podcast with one of your friends or someone that is interested in soccer, more than enough, we appreciate any type of support we can get. So yeah, that kind of does it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for season four, episode 139 of the Premier Pod. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.